Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. There is something very frightening to the realization that we have been lied to so often that when we get lied to, we go, eh. It is, in a different way, being the frog in the water. The frog is in the water. The temperature keeps going up. The frog doesn't notice because the frog doesn't notice the slow boil. Eventually, dead frog. This story about illegal immigrants, the video showing people being flown all across the country, This is the story that should outrage a nation and won't even get shared on CNN. That's the problem. That's the everything. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. That is the number. And and by the way, I'm, I'm on the CNN site right now. I do it so you don't have to. I love you, Boo Bear. Don't you ever forget it. No, it's not there. It's not there. What's not there? This story about illegal immigrants being transported on these charter flights from the southern border to Westchester, New York. Now, this isn't a total surprise to us because we've discussed parts of this story, these flights taking place all across uh, the country. And people are like, well, they're showing up in airports in New York and New Jersey. What in the world is, is this? So you have a Westchester County executive, Rob Astorino, who's running for governor as a Republican for 2022, and he's been a perennial kind of candidate before, does a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request, about what's going on and gets this video. And this video shows a Westchester police sergeant named Michael Hemborski reaching, talking to these federal contractors with questions about these after-hour flights, how come local police weren't given any information? But they aren't given any information. And Astorino says he saw migrants being put on a bus to a Costco where they were, and I'm quoting here, then released into cars into the community. Meaning that people are flying to, being flown to areas, maybe meeting up with some family or maybe somebody they know, and that's it. You never see them again. Don't tell me about how they show up for court cases. I get that you can show me data that shows they show up for court cases. That is not my argument. My argument is, A, a government that can do this, I can't trust. And America can't trust. And secondly, if you can't trust that they're actually engaged in keeping the border safe and secure, how in the world would you trust anything they say about those coming across the border? Tony, that's a slippery slope. I'm sharing with you that that's where America's going. And I cannot understand the person who is not bothered by this. Now, we discuss immigration often on the program. One of the things producer Ari likes to talk about is that certainly you see more people coming in uh, through the, the legal ports of entry 
in a, in a legal way, in an illegal way, right? That's where people are are caught. The, the airports is the bigger issue, yeah. Right. I don't make an argument against this. I've never made an argument against it. However, it is not an argument that solves the problem in front of us. We need to make sure that when we're dealing with data, it, we don't allow it to uh, elude or, or to move us, I should say, off of the conversation at hand. The conversation at hand is that the United States federal government is allowing people from the border to enter the United States, flying them around the country on private jets, utilizing security firms that have $136 million contracts. Picture it. Their contract exists to fly around on private planes and provide security for what? I think their job is to, to have a, you know, a, a soft drink on, on, on the plane and, 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 and play Candy Crush on their phone. Now they're probably playing Wordle. They're probably doing Wordle. My, my kid got it today in four tries. I was very impressed. Very, very impressed with the Wordle thing. No, I don't play. Yeah, I want, I'm trying to just say, decide if I want to get into it or not. Yeah, I, I have enough time sucks in my life. I just can't handle one more, so help me God. Just can't do it. But my kid was like, boom, there it is. I'm not going to give you the word. I'm not going to do it. I'm not a jerk. My gosh. $136 million contract. Government waste? Somebody got a family friend that got this contract? Because, you know, they're really the best in the business. You can feel the air quotes when I say that. And people are admitting that this is uh, something that's happening across the country. And no, you're not allowed to engage documentation. People tried to take pictures. Like, no, you're not allowed to take pictures. Department of Homeland Security and the United States Army say, uh, uh, you're not allowed to take pictures. They all want everything on the down low. The issue here is that we don't have a safe and secure southern border. It's a lie. That is offensive. We should be bothered. We should be angry. Joe Biden should be angry. He should be forced to account. And he doesn't because no one asks, because no one cares, because the southern border does not matter to far too many. It is nothing more than a political pawn, something you utilize when necessary to attack your political enemies. We saw this, for example, from Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And we should be clear, she doesn't give a damn about children. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does not give two craps about kids. She doesn't care if kids at the southern border get raped or killed. Quote me. Tony, how can you say such a thing? That is an insanely amazing and almost irresponsible thing to say. The same issues with the border happened under Donald Trump that are happening right now. And in one year's time, Representative Ocasio-Cortez never went to the border and cried. Don't tell me she gives a damn about kids. She doesn't care about what happens to those kids at all. Kids in cages are fine by her as long as they don't mess with her politically. But if they could be advantageous to her politically, then she will abuse those kids like a coyote bringing them across from Honduras. That's who she is. That is the ugly and the evil and the sick and the twisted 
of the politics. That's the insanity that we are all fighting against. That really is what it is. And it's more than just us on a political side. It is the rational versus the irrational. It is those who want order versus those who want power. It is those who want a semblance of decency versus those who profit in the indecency. You start recognizing how much we connect, even with people we disagree with on maybe a host of subjects. And you start to realize exactly how much they want to manipulate us, hurt us, damage us, keep us divided, lie to us. Because they figure there's enough there to still get them elected. Enough there to still get them involved. And after all, if you're somebody, let's say, on the political left who looks at what's happening in the border and they're flying people across the country saying, what the bloody heck? All they have to do is scream, abortion! And you'll be right back with them saying, oh yeah, that's right, I forgot. Those Republicans are taking away my right to... And I don't know what else is going to get said. So I just had to... I, you know, I couldn't think of all the things, so I went... as if it was Pavlovian, right? Uh, the, the, the Democrat does not yell heal to get fellow Democrats in line. They yell abortion and whoop, right there by the ankle, tongue out, hoping for a treat. The rational mind should be disgusted by this and the rational mind should ask why it's happening. And the rational mind should say it shouldn't happen. Especially when we're talking about grown men. Oh, I've discussed this before. I'll discuss it again. I'll get into it later. I'll get into it all week, all month, all year. Grown men don't get to come into the country. You go fight for your country. I don't want to hear your story. You're a grown man. Go fight for your country. Go take it back. And we'd be better off if they did. And we should really have a rethink of foreign policy when it comes to Central America and Southern America. We really should. We should be rethinking the value of investments, which is to say more investment. We should be thinking the, 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 the value of relationships, and that should be about more relationships. We should question whether or not we should be so Eurocentric. Every relationship with Europe, I'm not saying you have to get rid of, but maybe within some level of equal measure, you could put in the same level of effort to Colombia and El Salvador. El Salvador, the president of El Salvador, whose name escapes me, uh, he, he once stated, the, the, we're the problem. America's not the problem. We're the problem because we don't have a place that people want to stay and feel safe and create jobs and build a life in. The problem is ours. We have to fix it. Is it Bukele? Okay, that guy, that's my guy. I'm president of the United States, and I hear that statement. I am on the next plane. Wait a second, president of the United States. I have Air Force One. I am making a call to a colonel, an Air Force colonel somewhere. Gas it up, baby. Make sure there's some beef jerky on board. Daddy's hungry. I'm off to Andrews. Next thing you know, I'm in El Salvador. 
and me and President Bukele are having lunch. Because that attitude, that's the right one. Now, by the way, I don't know anything else about Bukele except uh, last uh, week he made Bitcoin a national currency. And now the International Monetary Fund is like, oh, no, you don't. That's a cool story. Come on. Crypto is national currency. That's great. We should be focused more on Central America and the value that they can provide and the value we can provide them. And it's a double winner because now we can create more stable trading partners or maybe manufacturing partners. And people stay in countries where they can prosper and thrive and take care of their families. And the more that that happens, the more you can see crackdowns on cartels. Cartels get to grow and thrive in, in, in the vacuum, in the chaos, in the void. Literally there at the end of, of, of time like it's Loki. But when there's order, when there is a sense of self, it is very, very, very hard for the chaos to reign. Think of everything that we've seen in the country, and we start with what we're talking about here, where the Biden administration is flying illegal immigrants all over the country under uh, uh, in the darkness, landing at airports when curfews are in place. These illegals are getting out of, of these private planes, put into buses, buses are dropped off at places, and the people are dispersed. Goodbye. That is a creation of chaos that is not necessary. And that chaos breeds other chaos. But if we were to bring more order to things, this chaos could not take place. And the order to things is saying out loud that this is wrong. But there are those who want the chaos because within the chaos, they can grab the power. We have seen power vacuums. We took out Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. If you remember the, the, the story, you know who took over? The Muslim Brotherhood. Because no one asked the question, okay, Gaddafi's dead, so, uh, uh, wait, wait, what, 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 what does that mean if Gaddafi's dead? That doesn't mean I was a fan of Muammar Gaddafi. I didn't shed a tear when he died. But certainly, it's a legit question to ask what happens next. It is, within foreign policy, a legitimate question to ask the devil you know or the devil you don't. Of course, it's a legitimate question. We should not lie to ourselves about a thing. And sometimes, you got to deal and dance with the devil you don't know. But in the chaos came the Muslim Brotherhood. Nobody was better off. Chaos creates these things. And what we have is far too much chaos. And right now we have a political party that is allowing the chaos to take place while when the other party is in power screaming about the chaos that they have never done a thing to stop. I don't leave Republicans harmless in not putting an end to some of the madness at the border. Not screaming even more about it. But they've been pretty loud. And the Democrats are in charge and they're doing nothing. So they deserve the blame and the derision and a recognition that this chaos is a bit of what they want. Because within the chaos, 
there is opportunity. That's exactly what we're fighting. I mean, that's the story. The southern border isn't even a story about protecting the southern border. The southern border is a story. Is is it going to be an allegory for what the Democratic Party sees as a power grab? I'm Tony Katz. The Morning Rumble with Tony Katz is there at rumble.com. Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Every morning, 10 a.m. Eastern? Is that when we do it? Yeah, that's when we do it. Fantastic. Fantastic and starting to grow. It's very, very cool. We had done it on and off uh, back in uh, November and then December and then full-time in January, and it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Speaking of Rumble, Dan Bongino permanently... For forever, a lifetime banned from from YouTube. Yeah, I didn't get this. Like, was he trying to circumvent the ban? So the argument is, is that they were stopping him from being on YouTube, and so he tried to find a way uh, on uh, YouTube to to get back onto YouTube. Uh, I, I would say that the, the following is is true. YouTube wanted every way in the world to get rid of him. Correct. <laughs> and they they found whatever they could to get rid of him. That's probably a pretty accurate assessment. Uh, to, to which I read the story and I emailed Dan and I said, screw YouTube. <laughs> this, is, this is just the way it is. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine he cares, right? Because he's got Rumble. It's doing really good. Of Rumble. He's got 2 million subscribers on Rumble. Um, and Rumble is great, right? That's that's why I mean I've been on it now for for a year, and we're building and we're growing. Your uh, your morning thing's actually pretty good. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Producer Ari has nothing to do with it. I don't. Nothing. Hey, I, I, tell I you. watched it and I was like, this is actually pretty good quality. So, uh, it, it, it it's it's all solid. Um, and uh, it, it, I like the ch- I like the platform. I like it a bit. They have a lot of different voices. Russell Brand is there. Dave Rubin is there. Um, a lot of a lot of financial dudes are, are there as well who like dig in heavy. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. You would love it, Ari. I don't know what's happening at all. They're following the charts and where's the no. resistance? Well, I would not and I'm love like, that. where's my piggy bank? No, I would not. I hate financial guys. Oh, you're just terrible. I was trying to give you a compliment. And you're like, nope, won't take it. But you should be on Rumble. As for uh, YouTube, they're going to throw off everybody who doesn't meet their ideological desires. It's just a matter of time. So rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Subscribe right now. Get to it. Choppity chop, chop, chop. The White House press secretary is going to speak. Holy, this is going to be fun. I'm Tony Katz. So there was supposed to be... A White House a press briefing with Jen Psaki. Well, I got thrown off the books because now President Biden and Justice Stephen Breyer are going to have a conversation at the White House. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. Rumble, Tony Katz, Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, everything at TonyKatz.com and Getter at Tony Katz as well. Now, there is some interesting back and forth here. With the announcement yesterday that Justice Stephen Breyer was going to retire, it turns out that Justice Breyer was not given the chance to make the announcement. 
it got leaked, and he is angry about it, or was angry about it, or at least that's the way it was reported. Allegedly, yeah. I, I'm willing to bet you it's a little bit more oh, wait, than allegedly. it's starting right now. I'm willing to bet you that it's a little bit more allegedly. I have it right here, Producer Ari, uh, getting ready for a Justice Stephen Breyer and uh, the, the President, uh, Joe Biden. I'm going to bring that to you. What is the political opportunity that is created from this? Can the Democrats blow it? Can the Republicans blow it? And what is to the idea of the identity politics here, which are pretty massive? But let me bring it to President Biden and Justice Breyer. Good afternoon. I begin by recognizing both Dr. Breyer, Dr. Biden, <laughs> and uh, uh, for being here and uh, I can't tell you, this is sort of a bittersweet day for me. Uh, Justice Breyer and I go back a long way, all the way back to the mid-70s when he first came on the Judiciary Committee, but that's another story. I'm here today to express the nation's gratitude to Justice Stephen Breyer for his remarkable career of public service and his clear-eyed commitment to making our country's laws work for its people. And uh, our gratitude extends to Justice Breyer's family for being partners in his decades of public service. In particular, I want to thank his wife, Dr. Joanne Breyer, who is uh, here today and who has stood by him for nearly six decades uh, and with her fierce intellect, good humor, and enormous heart. And I thank you. The country owes you as well. And Stephen Breyer's public service started early. He served in the United States Army as a teenager and in all three branches of the federal government before he turned 40. They were the good old days, weren't they? <laughs> and as he was a law clerk at Supreme Court Justice Goldberg, a prosecutor in the Department of Justice, a member of the Watergate prosecution team. And I first met Stephen Breyer when I was a senator on the Judiciary Committee, and uh, he uh, started off as taking care of one of the subcommittees for Teddy, but then became chief counsel during his tenure as, uh, as uh, Ted's chairman, uh, chairmanship of the Judiciary Committee. Beyond his intellect and hard work and legal insight, he was famous for biking across Washington virtually every day for a face-to-face -face meeting with a Republican chief counsel, the ranking Republican counsel. And over breakfast, they discussed what would they do for the country together. Or as in those days, we tried to do things together. The, uh, the, that spirit stuck with me when I took over the Judiciary Committee as chair after Senator Kennedy's tenure. And uh, it was my honor to vote to confirm Justice Breyer to serve in the United States Supreme Court, or the, the Court of Appeals first, in 1980. And then 14 years later, in 1994, I got to preside as chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee over a Supreme Court confirmation hearings. We were joking with one another when he walked in. Did we ever think that he would have served decades on the court and I'd be president of the United States when the day he came in to retire? I, uh, and he looked at it. Anyway, I won't tell you what he said. I'm joking. But I was proud and grateful to be there at the start of this distinguished career in the Supreme Court. And I'm very proud to be here today on his announcement of his retirement. You know, during his confirmation hearings way back in 1994, 
Nominee Stephen Breyer said, quote, the law must work for the people. He explained to us his faith that our complex legal system has a single purpose, tell people who make up our country. It was a different time, of course, but his brilliance, his values, his scholarship are why Judge Breyer became Justice Breyer by an overwhelming bipartisan vote at the time. Today, Justice Breyer announces his intention to step down from active service after four decades, four decades on the federal bench and 28 years on the United States Supreme Court. His legacy includes his work as a leading scholar and jurist in administrative law. So this is the moment where we're going to hear Justice Breyer announce his retirement and why he's retiring, thoughts on the court, thoughts on the nation, et cetera. And Joe Biden is doing what Joe Biden does, being way too verbose. Remember, he was famous for this as a senator bloviating all the time. And that was what he had actually more of his faculties. But as for this Breyer replacement, this is an opportunity for Joe Biden. And one of the opportunities it gives him is to create excitement in the midst of all the absolute damage that his administration has done. As we have discussed here and others have discussed, he's not a moderate he is a progressive and without a question he has decided to govern as a progressive even though he sold the country that he would govern as a moderate sold them on it and it has led to horror remind me to share with you something from all places cnn where even they recognize that things are bad for corn pops arch nemesis but this, picking a Supreme Court justice, great opportunity. And it's already being swiped by the far progressive left as opposed to Biden's just progressive left. Don't forget, you promised to nominate a black woman. Identity politics first and always. By the way, nominate a black woman. Where are we on policy? Nominate a black woman who's fine with the Second Amendment. Winsome Sears, Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. I'll take that. But, of course, they mean a black woman who is ideologically aligned with their nay communism. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're going to see. Expect someone of the most radical left. Because if not, the radical left will be angry. And he can't make the radical left angry. One of the things that I said was very, very true. I said that moderates will vote for a progressive, but progressives won't vote for a moderate. Said those words. And I was right. What I didn't know is that the progressives already figured out how they could make Joe Biden just like them. How easy he was to mold. How pliable he was. So let me bring it back now to President Biden, who's still talking to select a justice, not only with the Senate's consent, but with his advice. You've heard me say in other nomination processes that the, the Constitution says seek the advice and consent, but the advice as well of the Senate. I'm going to invite senators from both parties. To By offer the way, their it's not advice and, and consent. It's, advi- it's advice and consent. It's not advice. It's a, it's a different thing. But he's already said. Nominating a black woman, going to happen. So, you know, the identity is clearly, the identity politics still playing a top top uh, uh, of the thing for him. 
qualifications may be a secondary. We're going to find out soon enough. If he would only stop talking and bring us Justice Breyer already. Oh, he's just a just a blowhard. But here, finally, Justice Breyer. Someone who's worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy and someone who, like Justice Breyer, will provide incredible service on the United States Supreme Court. Justice Breyer, on behalf of all the American people, I want to thank you and your family and your family for your tremendous service to our nation. I'm going to yield the floor to you, Mr. Justice. Thank you, thank you, Mr. President. That is terribly nice. And uh, believe me, I hold it right here. <laughs> it's wonderful. And I, I thought about what I, I might say to you. And I, I'd like to say something I enjoy is talking to high school students, grammar school students, college students, even law school students. And, and they'll come around and ask me, what, 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 is the, what is it you find particularly meaningful about your job? What sort of gives you a thrill? And that's not such a tough question for me to answer. Uh, it's the same thing. Day one, almost. <laughs> Up to day, I don't know how many. But, but the, the, what, what I say to them is, look, I sit there on the bench, and after we hear lots of cases, and after a while... The impression, it takes a while, I have to admit. But the impression you get is, you know, as you well know, this is a complicated country. There are more than 330 million people. And my mother used to say it's every race, it's every religion, and she would emphasize this, and it's every point of view possible. And uh, it's a kind of miracle when you sit there and see all those people in front of you, 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 people that are so different in what they think, and yet they've decided to help solve their major differences under law. And when the students get too cynical, I say, go, go look at what happens in countries that don't do that. And that's there. I can't take this around in my job. People have come to accept this Constitution, and they've come to accept the importance of a rule of law. And I want to make another point to them. I want to say, look, uh, of course people don't agree, but we have a country that is based on human rights, democracy, and so forth. But I'll tell you what Lincoln thought, what Washington thought, and what people today still think. It's an experiment. It's an experiment. That's what they said. And Joanna paid each of our grandchildren a certain amount of money to memorize the Gettysburg Address. And the, the reason, the reason that, that, that what we want them to pick up there and what I want those students to pick up, if I can remember the first two lines, is that four, four score and seven years ago our fathers brought up... Uh, created upon this uh, uh, here a new country, a country that was dedicated uh, to uh, liberty and the proposition that all men are created equal, conceived in liberty, those are his words, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He meant women, too. And uh, we are now engaged in a great civil war to determine whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. See, those are the words I want. To see. An experiment. And that's what he thought. It's an experiment. 
And I found some letters that George Washington wrote where he said the same thing. It's an experiment. That experiment existed then because even the liberals in Europe, you know, they're looking over here and they say it's a great idea in principle, but it'll never work. Uh, but we'll show them it does. That's what Washington thought. And that's what Lincoln thought. And that's what people still think today. And I say, well, I want you, and I'm talking to the students now. I say, I want you to pick just this up. It's an experiment that's still going on. And I'll tell you something. You know who will see whether that experiment works? It's you, my friend. It's you, Mr. High School student. It's you, Mr. College student. It's you, Mr. Law School students. It's us, but it's you. It's that next generation and the one after that. My grandchildren and their children. He isn't wrong. He isn't wrong at all. I wonder if you could look back at his decisions and maybe ask the question of whether or not his decisions matched up with the statement that he's making right here. Justice Breyer retiring. President Trump. I mean, President Trump. President Biden. Ah, oh, that was a wishful thinking piece. President Biden saying it clear. The next Supreme Court justice will be a black woman. Fine. Can we talk qualifications at all? And in any way? No? Okay. I plan on doing just that. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Navy SEALs used to train in parks in Washington State. Right? Right there on maybe, you know, along the ocean, Uh, Some good, rugged terrain. That's exactly where you want a Navy SEAL training. However, there is a group that's like, well, we can't have them training here because they're they're armed when they're training. And it could be be frightening to, to people who want to enjoy the parks. They have been using Washington State Coastal Parks for over 30 years for cold water training and other special operations exercises. Leaders say the area offers the perfect environment to simulate what the elite forces may encounter on difficult operations overseas. But local residents are concerned about the psychological, no, I'm sorry, the physiological and environmental impact that SEAL training can have on others using the parks. These people will get us killed. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. They will get us killed, these cowards who can't watch actual men train to defend them. Picture the scenario. Understand what just got said. These people are so fragile and so cowardly that they refuse to be around grown men who will battle impossible odds and will train daily through hell to ensure that when the moment comes, they can protect those same lowly cowards. I think the cowards are so embarrassed about their own cowardness that when they see uh, uh, actual people engaged in strength and in vigor and a core and a sense of purpose, they're so further embarrassed that instead of saying, wait a second, I can be better, it's better to say, you know what, I don't want to see you anymore. Who has the legal right? It is an obscenity to see this happen. Now, the military is going to do what the military does, which is be like, oh, okay, we'll, 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 we'll move. 
One of the people said, in the, these days of great division in our civil society, we don't need stealthy men in camo uniforms toting toy guns around our state and county parks. People frequent parks to escape tension, not to encounter more. Keep the Navy commando training out of our parks. <sighs> it's pathetic. I assume that the Navy has always used the parks <laughs> via approval of the state. So the state can pull the approval. Weakness, weakness, weakness. Spotify and Neil Young, it's a story. And remembering the day to remember the time. That's all coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.